0: This episode of the Art of Manliness podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easy to turn your idea into a new and unique website, showcase your work, blog, or publish content, even sell products and services of all kinds in just a few clicks. You can customize everything from look and feel to settings and products using beautiful templates created by world-class designers. And there's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. Head over to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code MANLINESS to save 10% off your first purchase. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Now, picture this you're sitting in your car, mindlessly staring off in the distance when a memory from your childhood pops into your mind. It could be anything, Christmas, playing catch with your dad, whatever. Initially, thinking about this memory makes you feel pretty happy, but then you start feeling kind of sad. If you experience that feeling of happiness tinged with sadness when remembering something, you've experienced nostalgia. My guest today is a psychologist who has spent his career researching this oft overlooked emotion. His name is Clay Rutledge, and he's a professor of psychology at the North Dakota State University. And today on the show, Clay takes us deep into the psychology of nostalgia. We begin by discussing what exactly nostalgia is, what it feels like, and what induces nostalgic feelings. Clay then delves into the benefits of nostalgia, such as alleviating depression and loneliness and providing meaning in your life. We then get into the downsides of nostalgia, trying to feel nostalgic too much, and how to avoid that. We end our conversation discussing why we can feel nostalgic for time periods we didn't even experience ourselves and the possible benefits of that type of nostalgia. After the show's over, you'll be wanting to bust out old photo albums to take a trip down memory lane. And after you've done that, check out our show notes at AOM.io nostalgia. Clay Rutledge, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So you are a psychologist who has spent a lot of time researching nostalgia, which is, you know, you don't see a lot of papers about nostalgia. You see a lot about like the big five, right? Or things like that. But so what got you researching the psychology of nostalgia?
1: So, when I was in graduate school, I was really more broadly interested in how humans navigate time. But what I mean by that is, compared to other animals, we have this unique capacity for temporal thought. So, we can think about the past, we can think about the future, we can run different sorts of simulations about these different points in time. And so I was just broadly interested in, you know, the implications of being an animal that has to grapple with the awareness Of time and in fact most of my work or a lot of it I should say has focused on the ability to think about the future and the implications of that um, especially the existential implications of being able to think about um, future mortality and so when I was in graduate school doing this work I was actually working on a chapter for a book on temporal consciousness with my PhD advisor and we started toying around with how people use the past, you know, how they reflect on the past, which we do in many ways, of course, but what seemed really interesting to us was this possibility that people have this ability to think about the future, and that can be exciting, of course, because we can think about goals and things we're looking forward to, but it can also be threatening because it's a reminder of our vulnerability and, and frailty. And so then we started thinking, well, maybe people actually turn to the past as a way to combat some of their insecurities and worries about the future. And, and particularly, that they, you know, they might bring to mind nostalgic memories that make them feel warm and safe and meaningful as a way to cope with some of their anxieties about future concerns. And so, really, that you know, that's how I got into it was not just a fixation on nostalgia, but just more broadly how people kind of deal with being um, temporal and and ultimately existential animals.
0: Yeah, I'd love to talk about that idea of uh, thinking about our temporal future, but let's talk about this nostalgia. All right, so I think we've we we all can describe nostalgia. We've all experienced it. So, in your research, how? how do you guys describe nostalgia? Because with, with psychology, you have, to get really, you have to get more precise besides just, oh, I have this like fond memory. So what exactly, how do you describe nostalgia and how is it different from say, just remembering any other memory from your past?
1: That's an excellent uh, distinction because when we first started doing this, you know, we actually wanted to see if our you know kind of more theoretical or scholarly conception of nostalgia did in fact align with more lay you know conceptions of nostalgia uh, you know and this you know, becomes important for a number of reasons but you know the dictionary definition to start is that nostalgia is a sentimental or wistful longing for the past and when we look at nostalgia we often define it in that way so in some of the studies we've done for example we provide if we're going to ask people to bring to mind in detail in a nostalgic memory we often provide them with that dictionary definition beforehand just to get you know just to get a sense that you know everyone kind of knows where we're coming from but we've also, you know, you know, done a number of studies looking at lay or you know just more common conceptions of nostalgia. and they converge quite nicely with this more scholarly approach. And in a nutshell, I would say the consensus seems to be that nostalgic memories are these are these memories that people find particularly meaningful or sentimental. And what distinguishes them from from more ordinary memories seems to be, that that potency of meaning. So you can ask people, for example, to say, "Hey, think about a, a happy memory, or positive memory, or sad memory, or an ordinary memory from your past." And they'll sometimes they'll bring to mind a memory that would also you know, constitute nostalgia. Um, they can distinguish the two, and you can find distinctions when you have when you, you know, more surgically tell people to specifically think of a nostalgic memory, it does something a little bit different than if you just say, hey, think about a happy or, or pleasant memory.
0: Yeah. I think one of the ways you found a lot of people describing it is like it's feeling both sad and happy about the memory.
1: Yeah. 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 So that's a good point because if you say, just think of a happy memory or a positive memory, uh, a lot of times that'll be somewhat superficially positive. So you can imagine, you know, lots of things just being positive memories. Like, oh, I went to the movies or I ate a piece of cake. Um But what seems to distinguish nostalgia in part is this more um, what we call emotional ambivalence, which is there's this tinge of sadness or loss. and that's part of what I think makes nostalgia memories special is they're not just ordinary everyday happy events right There might be little things that you enjoy every day, but nostalgia seems to be more of those momentous or meaningful memories And oftentimes, you know the people you know don't, don't really think about this. A lot of times, these more meaningful memories have this this tinge of uh, of negative affect or negative emotion in them because they're so special. Um, because you know, meaningful memories are often complex. And because you know, when we think about them, we're we're aware of that you know that sense of how these are these are rare it's kind of special events,
0: right? And then also, I mean, the word nostalgia it comes from Greek, which meant homesickness. So you're kind of feeling like this longing for home, which could be the
1: past in this case. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there is this it, there is this sense of you know something that you're that you're longing or you know that you're longing for, as opposed to just something that is just more kind of superficially like uh, transiently pleasurable.
0: Right. Yeah. You talked know, to you talk too about the history of nostalgia. There was a time in sort of the history of psychology where nostalgia was seen as a sickness. Like that's not a good thing to have. Was it because they didn't really fine tune nostalgia and they were just, they were, you know, conflating it with some other, like, just like a sadness. I mean, what was going on? Why did they think nostalgia was bad at some point in the history of psychology?
1: So there's a couple of possibilities. I mean, you know, to start, it's a little bit difficult often to do these sort of historical analyses because, you know, we're not there and we don't know exactly. So we're, we're doing almost like a forensic sort of analysis of text and, you know, writing and what we think you know people were, were were thinking at the time, but there seems to be a couple possibilities that you touched on one, and that is that, you know, there was just an oversimplification of this idea of homesickness. And so what people were doing is they were conflating the these negative emotional and distressing experiences you know, feelings that people were having that might have actually, you know, I'm sure we'll touch on this later, might have actually triggered or instigated nostalgia as a coping resource. We were conflating that with the actual nostalgia memory, which might actually have been the response to those those negative states. So that's, you know, that's one possibility is, you know, in modern science we would, you know, we use words like the difference between correlation and, in causation, for instance, are these negative feelings correlated with nostalgia? Um, and is that why we, you know, that's why they conflated the two? In addition to that, you know, a, a second possibility is that over time we have started to change the definition of what nostalgia is and that we've started to ourselves distinguish it from homesickness now what i you know even if that's true and you know that could be part of the picture i would i would just note that that doesn't mean nostalgia is a new or a recent phenomenon it just means that we have developed new language or we are we are approaching it conceptually differently i mean i think there's there's no reason to believe that nostalgia as we commonly think of it now is something that's emerged in you know in recent Decades. You know, as long as our species has been an animal that grapples with, with the awareness of time and, and concerns about meaning, I suspect we've always been nostalgic.
0: So nostalgia is sort of a wistfulness of happy memories, meaningful memories. What is like, what is the content of nostalgic thoughts? I mean, is it pretty much the same uh, in your, that you've seen things pop up over and over again in your relation, in your, in your research?
1: Yes, it is. So, and and in fact, there's been some you know some studies in recent years, really looking cross culturally at different nations and age groups, uh, different parts of the world, suggesting that there is a, a common theme of nostalgia or common characteristics that you know populate nostalgic memories, and they include. Um, a heavy emphasis on social bonds or relationships so certainly you could have nostalgic memories that are more solitary that are you doing you know something completely by yourself but that would be more atypical than than a social memory that involves close others friends family romantic partners um, so the sociality of nostalgia seems really, really big. Also, we find that nostalgia often contains what you know people refer to as momentous life events. So you can be nostalgic for anything, of course, even very you know even things that other people might find trivial, you might find momentous. But you do see these common cultural themes about rites of passage, like graduation, you know, kind of religious traditions. And getting married, for instance, having children. And you also see themes related to holidays or, you know, these kind of cultural rituals are, are big. And, of course, a lot of these things also implicate the social nature that I just touched on. So momentous life events seem to be a big part of it. And also a self-focus. and And what I mean by that is... Nostalgic memories, at least when we talk about personal no- nostalgia, um, are th- are seen through the lens of you as the protagonist, right? These are your memories, right? So you, the self, plays a central role in them, which doesn't take away from the sh- social aspect. I mean, people tend to see social versus self as being in opposition, but that's not true at all because a lot of the a lot of the things we do in life, of course involve us thinking about our primary role in them, but they still implicate relationships. And finally, I would say um, nostalgic memories are sort of populated by this, what we call a redemptive sequence, you know, events that have a, re- a redemptive sequence. And so that where the negative and positive elements come in a little bit more, is that a lot of times nostalgic memories involve some sort of hardship or loss or pain Or difficulty, or uncertainty, that is subsequently that you subsequently triumph over, and so they're really kind of these redemptive stories, which again kind of distinguishes them from other other memories.
0: So you said you mentioned that. the content of our nostalgic thoughts are, are, there's a lot of relationships and the self, but like what happens, what's going on when people are nostalgic for a period of time that they didn't even exist, right? Like people like, I watch, you know, It's a Wonderful Life. And you're like, oh, I wish I could go back to, then and when and live in fictional Bedford Falls when everything was great, um, and you, you, it's the same sort of nostalgic feeling that I have when I think about my own childhood. So, what's going on there when you're nostalgic for an era that you didn't even experience yourself?
1: So, one thing to you know to start with is that I think it's important to distinguish um, a, a lot of what I've been talking about, which we would call personal nostalgia from what you're now referencing which we would call historical nostalgia and the two can have some some overlap and 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 we can get into that but you know a lot of the research we've done has been on these like personal memories that um, are from your own life experiences so there is this other phenomenon of historical nostalgia which is exactly what you know which is an affinity towards some aspects or periods of the past that you know, it may have been long before you were ever born, and I, you know, and I certainly think there is some something about that that's that's distinct. But I also think it, it sort of builds on the same psychological scaffolding as personal nostalgia. For you know, just for uh, you know, a quick example, you can imagine, um, you know, like you said, being nostalgic for for the, for certain movies or ideas that were long before you were born but if you extract the themes out of out of that they might connect in meaningful ways to your own to your own life experiences and the way you became introduced to those uh, historical ideas might have important personal connections as well so i know that i have some nostalgia for for older movies that i experienced for the first time with either you know older relatives or or my father and so There is still this connection to my own personal life experiences, but they were introduced to me, um, these older ideas were introduced to me by people that I, you know, people from my own life. And, you know, an interesting possibility is that these forms of historical nostalgia are part of what connect us culturally across time. And our ability to weave these into our own personal memories and personal life narratives might help be you know part of what connects us to to older generations i think you know another good example this seems a a little abstract is like my son who wasn't born until 2001 has a lot of interest in movies from the 1980s and so we've you know particularly kind of action you know the action movie genre so i've Showing him everything from Rambo to Terminator to, you know, to Aliens to to Rocky to the Rocky movies and all, all these action movies, Predator, or, you know, all these action movies from the 80s that were way before he was born. And he really, really likes them. And there are themes that are just enduring that, you know, a lot of teenage boys like. Violent action movies, but I have no doubt too that part of that will be a connection with me as he gets older. He, you know, he'll be thinking, "Well, I got to watch that stuff with my dad, and that was, uh, uh, and that was really cool." So I do think there is this blending between the historical and the personal, if if that makes sense.
0: No, it makes perfect sense because like I, I'm, I often get nostalgic for like the World War II era, and it's probably because both my grandfathers fought in World War II, and so as a kid. They showed me their pictures from the war. That was my so that's my connection to that era.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, no, definitely, and you know, and also a lot of tra- you know, just kind of fashion, either fashion trends or certain um, certain ideas that you might you might like. the the uh, The peak time of those ideas might have been you know, in times past before you're aborted. So, you know, that can be part of it, too, is you just happen to have a particular hobby or a particular area of interest. Like, say you're interested in muscle cars for whatever reason. You might say, well, there was a period that was sort of the peak for that time. But my guess is a lot of times, and certainly not always, I'm sure, but my guess is a lot of times, if you dug a little bit deeper, you would find a, a personal link. So maybe you, your dad had a muscle car and you just thought that was really cool, like he was the greatest, like or he showed, like you said, he showed you picture, you know, you, your grandparents or somebody showed you pictures from, they were, from when they were young. So I think a lot of times, even though we feel sort of disconnected personally from historical events, there is a real family or social connection somewhere, you know, somewhere beneath, beneath the surface.
0: So you've done research and found that nostalgia is, is something that's not just unique to people living in Western industrialized countries; it's it's cross cultural. You also did research on sort of trying to figure out how we feel nostalgically at different times in our life. I'm curious: are there certain points in our life where we feel more nostalgic or less nostalgic?
1: So this is a question that certainly needs a lot more data to be appropriately answered, we do have, you know, one, you know, one data set that provides some suggestive hints. Now, let me start by saying the differences between age groups aren't large. So what we find is in, in general, across, across age, people are nostalgic. There are individual differences, you know, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about it because there is kind of a personality Trait related to nostalgia, but people of all ages seem to regularly engage in nostalgia. Now that being said, you know, uh, you know, I was hinting at this potential interesting small difference. We have some preliminary evidence that nostalgia may you know, be higher among um, young adults and then you know, so people in their twenties, for instance, and then kind of st- start to decrease slightly in middle age and then begin to increase in again as people get older and and one possibility and I, you know I say this with caution because we don't know for sure one possibility is that this is somehow mapping on to you know kind of normal trends. Um, across the life, kind of lifespan trends, and so what I mean by that is, when you're a young adult, you have a lot of uncertainty, right? You're trying to figure out what to do. You're trying to, you know, potentially find a mate, become more of an adult, and you know, be independent. And with that uncertainty, might provoke a more longing for nostalgia as a way to, you know, kind of regulate these, you know, these experiences. Now, once you settle into middle age, and again, this is just a simplification. Um, people differ, obviously. You might expect more of a period of stability, right? You have a job, you have a career, you're doing your thing, you have a family, you're you know you're just plugging away, and so you might need nostalgia less. And then, as you start to get a little bit older, you're starting to have life transitions again. Either it's retirement, or you know, of course, eventually. People start to you start to lose family members and parents and, and friends. Um, there are other experiences in life as you as you get old in terms of declining declining health. So that's just one possibility. Is that trends in nostalgia across age somehow follow trend general lifespan trends and what we would call discontinuity?
0: Yeah. I can see that. Like in my own, this is anecdotal. This is I'm, I'm throwing in some anecdotal evidence into the the mix here. But like, yeah, remember as a as a young adult, I'd get really, like the Christmas spirit. Right, it's very nostalgic. Uh, now as like I'm a thirty something dad who have kids. Like I don't like I don't feel that much. At the holidays, and you are like oh, I just got to get through this because there's a lot to do. <laughs> yeah, um, and I, I always try to like I'm gonna like I'm gonna I'm gonna recapture that feeling somehow, and I never can. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess I have to wait until I'm in my 60s or 70s. <laughs> well, I-
1: you know, uh, get, and that's a good anecdote, um, and I, you know, I think there's truth to that. But what I would also add is. And the reason I think these trends might be really, really small of, is because, of course, anytime you just look broadly and say something as broad as across the lifespan, within that is a whole host of different experiences that are you know completely diverse. And so, just as you might say, well, these are general general cohort trends, you would also predict using that same um, that same reasoning that as any individual personally experiences distress or discontinuity or change in life, they, you know, might, um, ratchet up their own nostalgia. So for instance, you can imagine, you know, being 40 and saying, Hey, you know, I'm actually a lot more nostalgic than maybe I would have been because I just got, a divorce or I just you know, or I just lost a parent or or something like that. And it's triggered this this compensatory effort to revisit meaningful past memories and, you know, to reflect on these things that give me some sense of, of stability that I know who I am. So I think it's definitely more surgical to focus on the individual level than it is the, the broader cohort level. But still, that that lifespan piece, I think, is, is interesting. And there's some, and it might help us understand some general trends, you know, across age.
0: So you've kind of been referencing this throughout while you were talking, explain, giving your answers, but like, why do we experience nostalgia, right? Like, there's, re, you know, we know, kind of have an idea of why we experience happiness, why we experience sadness. So why do we have this feeling of sort of mixed sadness and happiness for the past? What do you think is going on there based on your research?
1: Based on my research, well, first I'll say that, you know, nostalgia is compared to happiness and sadness. It's what we call a a complex, self-relevant emotion. So it's not just a simple, you know, simple positive or negative affect that's, you know, as we've discussed, it has this more, um, com- you know, amb- you know, ambivalent and complex signature, emotional signature. And what, you know, what we found is there, there seems to be at least two general classes of what we'd call triggers of nostalgia or reasons that people become nostalgic. One is just kind of simple, sen- what we call sensory inputs, which, and these are just the reminders of the past that you experience. So, Certain times of year, you might get that you know experience, the sensation of, oh, the weather's changing, and I'm starting, and all oh, that reminds me of when I was a kid, right? Or I smell, you know, there's a certain food, you know, a certain type of smell that, you know, that reminds me of things from my childhood. Or music would be a big sensory input, right? I heard this song on the radio from when I was, and that was, you know, one of my favorite songs in high school, and it brings me back. So those are what we call very direct you know, triggers of nostalgia. And you know, that seems totally obvious. What I find more fascinating is a second class of triggers, which we call um, psychological threats. And I think that's more interesting because one, it's less obvious and, and two, it, it really starts to reveal nostalgia's um, psychological functions. And and so what we find is people are more likely to feel nostalgic in times in which they're experiencing negative emotions, particularly uh, emotions relevant to social, to social issues and issues of meaning. So when people feel lonely, they become more nostalgic. And you know, before I mentioned the correlation versus causation angle, and, and this is one of the things that we've tried to address is to distinguish, you know, correlation from causation. So we've now done a number of um, experiments to and demonstrated that it is in fact negative emotions that trigger. Nostalgia as opposed to nostalgia triggering um, negative emotions. So um, when you induce sadness in the laboratory or you induce negative affect in the laboratory, you find that people subsequently feel more nostalgic. When you induce a a feeling of social exclusion or ostracism or loneliness in the laboratory, you find that people subsequently feel more nostalgic. When you induce some sense of meaninglessness, or you know, provoke people to question the meaningfulness of their life, they they subsequently respond with a heightened sense of nostalgia. So the second class of triggers seems to be these um, negative psychological states that people are turning nostalgia to as a way to regulate you know, negative emotions and experiences.
0: We're gonna take a quick break forward from our sponsors. All right, for the past few months, my family's been using HelloFresh. It's a meal delivery service that shops, plans, and delivers step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients right to your door. So all you have to do is just cook, eat, and enjoy. Here's how it works. You pick a plan. There's the classic plan, which comes with a wide variety of meat, fish, and seasonal produce. The veggie plan, which is the vegetarian option, and the family plan, which is what we use. It's quick and easy meals the whole family can love. You pick that, and you can get decide however many meals you want a week. And again, they just send everything right to your door in this nice recyclable insulated packaging, all the ingredients are pre-measured. You don't have to. Do, I mean, just you just put the stuff together, cook it. It's a lot of fun, and all this for less than ten dollars a meal. And everything takes all the meals take about thirty minutes to prepare, from pre- preparation to cook. That is it. Thirty minutes. Family loves it. Last week we had some delicious burgers with some zucchini fries. I had a parmesan on it. The burger was fantastic. Really good. The kids loved it, and it's been a great way to introduce my kids to different types of food like fish and things like that. So if you want to try this out, we got a special offer for you to get. off your first week of HelloFresh. Visit HelloFresh.com and enter promo code MANLINESS30. Again, go to HelloFresh.com. Use promo code MANLINESS30 to get $30 off your first week of HelloFresh. You're going to love this. And if you have a family, your kids are going to love it too. Also buy Squarespace. So if you've been wanting to start a website for a while now, but you've been putting it off because you're like, oh, it's going to take too much time or it's going to cost too much money, check out Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can get a beautiful looking website up and running in just a few minutes with just a click of the mouse. With Squarespace, you have all these templates to choose from. You select your template. You can rearrange things customize things just by pointing and clicking and dragging your mouse around. And then that's it. You got your site up. And not only can you publish like a blog if you want to do that, if you're a photographer and want to display your portfolio, Squarespace has plugins for that and templates for that. Or if you want to have an online store, they have that available as well. Also, they've got award-winning 24-7 customer support. So if you ever have an issue, they'll get to it. And with Squarespace, you never have to worry about upgrading things or buying new things because it all comes with the service. So if you're ready to start your website today, got an offer for you, go to squarespace.com start your free trial. And when you're ready to make your first purchase of a website or domain, just enter code manliness to get 10% off. So again, squarespace.com for a free trial. When you're ready to make that purchase of your website or domain, enter code manliness to save 10%. And now back to the show. So on the psychological triggers, is the nostalgia just serving as a balm, right? Just like helping you feel better because you're sad or does it actually cause people to take action to improve their situation, right? So like you feel lonely, Okay, I feel nostalgic for the time in high school, and I had friends, and everything was great. That can that can just you could just settle there. Like I feel better. You don't do anything about it, or does nostalgia actually? Okay, let me do something now so I can have friends now.
1: That's actually been one of the most surprising and interesting um, developments in in the research, I think, because originally, to be honest, I thought it was the former that nostalgia just kind of made you feel good. So, and that and that has value in itself, right? So you feel you're experiencing loneliness or a feeling of rejection or meaninglessness and so you you kind of retreat to these memories in the past that make you feel good and it just and that's an and that and that might be beneficial right because if you feel good then you might be then there might be something else that comes into play that you're you know you're sort of more motivated to to pursue as just as a function of getting a mood boost. And that's what, you know, that was kind of the original thinking is nostalgia just restores these, these positive feelings or or reduces these negative feelings. But then what we found more recently, and I think is, is, is very fascinating is that nostalgia didn't just make people feel good. It actually mobilizes them or motivates them. And so, it's kind of changed my, my thinking on nostalgia because I used to see nostalgia as this very past-focused experience, right? After all, you're thinking about pa- thinking about the past, so it seems like you're kind of retreating yeah. backwards into the past to feel better about the present. But I think a better description based on some of our recent research is nostalgia is you pulling the past to the present, not you retreating to the past. Like you, You're pulling the past to the present as a way... To energize or mobilize yourself, and so we've now, you know, published a number of studies showing that when people feel nostalgic, they actually indicate and and behaviorally demonstrate a greater interest in meeting new people, of trying new things, of, of being more helpful to others, feeling more energetic, of feeling more youthful, and so there does it does seem to be the case that um, nostalgia isn't just a way to sort of kind of restore your feelings it does seem to have um, motivational power
0: so you mentioned earlier this uh, idea of self continuity what is that first and then how does nostalgia help with that
1: so self-continuity is the sense that even though I of course change over time right I have different life experiences and I grow and develop that I have some sense of I'm I have a state, you know, I have some stable sense of self that I'm, you know, at some deeper level I'm the same person I've always been, as opposed to I don't have any like stable sense of self and I'm all over the place. There seems to be, you know, some positive psychological benefits to having some sense of this sort of stability of self across time, or kind of connection to self across time. And so the way nostalgia boosts this the self Continuity is. It seems to be a way that people can bring to mind these experiences in life and weave them into a meaningful personal self story or self narrative that help that helps them feel like they have some kind of authentic or enduring you know sense of self regardless of what what happens or regardless of what happens to them in life.
0: Gotcha. And I th- I thought the, the really interesting section. This is what kick started your your entire research about nostalgia. Is that nostalgia and sort of Existential meaning, right? Um, so, what is it about you know feeling that existential angst, right? Like <laughs> my life is meaningless, <laughs> that you know, makes people nostalgic, or and what causes people to you know some people to be nostalgic while others like they go into the void, like they look into the abyss <laughs> and they never come back. So, what's the difference between those two types of people?
1: Yeah, that that second question is, is really is really interesting. So, first, of all, you know I'll say that. Life is full of experiences that you know, kind of challenge our our sense of of meaning. I mean, you know, uh, we all experience loss and suffering, and the world feels unfair. And ultimately, regardless of all the things we do to navigate, you know, life. Even if we have even best case scenario, we know that ultimately we're going to get older, frailer, weaker. Everyone we love is going to die, and so are we. Um, and so at the general level, nostalgia seems to be a way that people, you know, can kind of build a storehouse of meaning, a warehouse of meaning and, you know, a bank of meaning. And when people are experiencing these states that, you know, these are these life events that sort of question the meaningfulness or cause them to, you know, to, to think about the potential meaninglessness of their existence, they can withdraw from the bank these meaningful memories and be like, oh, yeah, but. I've had these events in life and, and so I know I've despite what's going on now or despite what what's gonna happen to me, I've had good experiences, I've had my, you know, I've had my my meaning. Um, and so that seems to be that seems to be important, not just for allowing people to take some perspective about what's meaningful in their life, but also, you know, and, and touching on a previous point about motivation, it seems to be kind of an experience that, that um, instigates the, you know, uh, kind of further efforts for meaning. And what I mean by that is you can imagine, say, well, life feels meaningless right now, and that challenges your sense of confidence, right? As, and then you think back nostalgically, and you're like, yeah, but I've had all these successes and, and great experiences in my life that made me feel meaningful. And if I had them back then, even though I'm going through a hard time right now, maybe I can have them again. So nostalgia seems to boost your existential confidence too, that you can you know that you what you might be going through right now is tough, but there's there's gonna be future opportunities um, for meaning. We you know sometimes we refer to this as as anticipatory nostalgia, which is a lot of times we plan we have goals and ideas that we're we're hoping for in the future because we know that we had meaningful versions of them in the past. I think vacations is is a very good example. So you might be, there might be things on your bucket list that you really, really want to do. Right. And you want to do them in part because you think they'll be meaningful. Like, oh, I've always wanted to, you know, to go to Yellowstone or to, you know, go to Alaska or whatever it is that you, that you, that you want to do. But part of the reason you think that might be meaningful is because at some level you, can, you have memories from your past that you, had, you, know, you might have not done those exact same things. But you remember, hey, I remember when my parents took us here and that was really awesome and that was really special. And now I want to recreate that or make a new version of that. And so I think that that's how nostalgia helps us deal with the existential meaninglessness uh, issue.
0: That's like that's why I stress myself out every Christmas because I'm
1: like <laughs> I'm creating memories here, people. <laughs> yeah, that is the. But you're touching on an important, I think, an important issue that we need we need to think about, which is you can overdo it, right? Or you can fixate too much on the importance of something, and that, uh, that robs you of just living and enjoying the more experiential component of it. So I do think there are some. You know, it's not just the case that this is always positive, right? We have to we have to think about that.
0: That's the uh, that's the message of Christmas vacation with Chevy <laughs> <Yeah>. Chase, right? He's <laughs> try too hard. So yeah, so what causes some people to, you know, go to nostalgia as a as a as a way to as a reservoir for this existential void, while others don't do that and they you know might go to a really, really bad place?
1: Yeah. So I think there's a few a few possibilities. One is we know that their nostalgia does have trait-like characteristics. And what I mean about that is just like some people are more neurotic than others and some people are more extroverted than others. Um, Some people are more nostalgic than others. So there is just kind of a stable personality characteristic of nostalgia that people vary on. Like All of us can experience nostalgia and have some understanding of it, but some of us are more nostalgic than others. And so that seems to be um, one dimension, which is some people just—and um, that's not to say that the people who aren't nostalgic are going to just retreat to the void, experience, you know, embrace the void. Um, but it, it, but it might indicate um, that nostalgia is not is not as likely of a strategy for them when they're grappling with meaning. They might turn to other things for meaning, but maybe not as much nostalgia. So that's one part of it. Um, another part of it is I think just individual differences and in, and people's. Um, personal comfort with you know the the void so to speak so there does seem to you know one of the other areas of research I'm I'm involved in right now is looking at individual differences in the need for meaning now at some level like just like the need to belong um, or you know our social needs everyone has some you know, some level of need for meaning. Everyone needs to feel important and that their life has some kind of value or purpose at some level, but that people also seem to differ differ on this. Some people are really, really high in this need. Some of the research that, you know, some of the recent research we've done on this suggests, for instance, that people that are high in need for meaning tend to be more religious and hold more supernatural beliefs, for example. And so... One possibility is that you know there are just some people that are more comfortable with the idea that there is no ultimate meaning or there is no true true meaning beyond the meaning that I might make, and so some people just might be more comfortable, um, you know, or might be find it less distressing to look into the void. Now, the third thing that you know, third and final thing I'd note, which you touched on a little bit too, is that's distinct from from meaningless that might be um bad for people's mental health as you know as you kind of hinted at because some people might stare into the void and be like hey my life is meaningless whatever i there's still a new star wars movie coming out i still like (laughs) you know i still like starbucks and you know then you know some people just might be a little bit more comfortable with that right Right. But I think the problem is a lot of people aren't, and if they don't have, you know, I'd say the majority of people aren't. You know, in fact, I think it's a very small percentage of the population that's probably fully able to em- embrace without any real um, psychological distress the, you know, the the total potential insignificance <laughs> of their existence. Um, so for everyone else who who um, who isn't like that, who wants meaning, if, you know, if not nostalgia or if not something else. I mean, there are people do experience, one of the predictors of de- depression is a lack of meaning. One of the predictors of, of suicide is a lack of meaning. One of the predictors of addiction and other forms of, of risky and problematic behavior is the feeling that life is, life is um, meaningless. So there does seem to be this kind of pathological component of a lack of meaning. Um, and I don't know, you know, I don't know what the answer is um, for those people, um, because we largely haven't studied nostalgia from that kind of more clinical perspective. We've studied it as more just a normal life experience, and, and that actually touches on an important issue um, that I like to bring up a lot, and I think we need to do a better job of, of, of being transparent about in psychology, which is it's a lot easier to identify and study phenomena or people or experiences as they naturally exist. And, and then to kind of mo- experimentally move that around a little bit, just to understand a phenomena like nostalgia, it's a lot harder to develop interventions that can dramatically change people, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you also highlight research that nostalgia can actually have physiological response. I mean, I've, I've seen this research before where they'll go to a nursing home and they'll make the nursing home pretty much look like how it looked when the residents were in their prime, in their 20s. And, like, instead of shuffling the old people, like, they get a little pep in their step. So, I mean, that's another benefit. But I'm curious, in your research, have you found any, like, is there a dark side to nostalgia? Like, we've been talking about the benefits. Are there any downsides to experiencing nostalgia?
1: So, I think there are certainly. Are possible downsides. One would be an overuse of nostalgia. Now we don't really, we haven't really figured this out in terms of research, but you know it it seems to be pretty obvious at some level that almost anything that's good for you or can be bad for you, or almost anything that's good for you can be bad for you, right? So. You know, use the par- Use the parallel example of exercise. Like everyone would say, "Hey, exercise is good for you," but we know, you know, that people, some people, over exercise, um, or compulsively exercise, and so you know, I'd say similarly, if you are, if you're so fixated on nostalgia that it's preventing you from living in, you know, the present, or engaging in other future-oriented opportunities or experiences then that would be you know that would be a problem in addition to that you know there is some some recent research on what we would call group or collective nostalgia which you know which seems to have some positive and negative benefits and what I mean by that is you can imagine nostalgia for a group you're part of right so um, you can say hey I have nostalgia for, I have nostalgia for being an American and nostalgia for um, being, a, you know, when I was in college or something like that. And that has, you know, that has many benefits because group level nostalgia makes you feel connected and part of something bigger than yourself, right? It gives you um, some commitment to your in-group. But the problem, of course, is that it also runs the risk of um, making you less um focused or less open to outgroups or to you know people that aren't part of that group and so i think one of the things that you know that warrants further investigation is the extent to which a nostalgia can while increasing some kind of group harmony perhaps a collective nostalgia could also um contribute to to intergroup conflict and there just isn't a lot of you know, like I said, there's research on the benefits of, of group nostalgia, but there isn't a, there isn't really much research on the potential consequences.
0: So as I was reading your book, I was thinking, okay, there's a these great benefits to nostalgia. I want I want some more nostalgia <laughs> in my life. Have you all found like, are there ways you can, in- I mean, you've been able to induce nostalgia in the lab by making people feel sad. <laughs> it's so funny that that's what you guys do. Like, well, <laughs> we're going to make you feel lonely and excluded and sad so we can test this yeah. thing. But are there, I mean, you mentioned the sort of the direct triggers, right? Music, pictures, etc. I mean, are there ones that you find that, you know, without fail, typically induce some sort of nostalgic feeling in people?
1: Music seems to be really big. It seems, and you know, there, there might be different reasons why. Just from an experimental or laboratory point of view, music might be a really good induction just because people like it and it's engaging. I mean, a lot of times when you do these studies in the lab, you're bringing people in and, you know, it's not the most interesting thing for them to do, (laughs) but you give them a chance to listen to music that makes them nostalgic or oftentimes in our, you know, to make sure we have good controls in our control conditions. We also have them listen to music that they really, really like or enjoy. So it's equally um, engaging, but it's music that they've only recently, only recently heard. And so that way it's not, you know, it's not associated with the past for them, but that seems to be powerful, you know, so that just from the engagement part of it, but even beyond the laboratory, I would, I would, Propose that music is a particularly powerful um, source of nostalgia because it seems to be that all of us have, or many of us have, a almost like a soundtrack to our lives. Um, right? We can think about the times from our youth, in particular, where there were certain bands we liked. In fact, there you know there's some research on this that people tend to favor products consumer products whether it's movies or music so that um, that came or even fashion um, that came from their from their youth and that seems to be the time in which you really start to develop these because you start to become an independent person right that's the time when you're when you're adolescent and teen and young adult that's when your identity's really forming and you're distinguishing yourself from just being some kid in your family um, you're becoming an, you know kind of an autonomous person and there's there's music associated with that right um, and so for me it would be the the you know the early 1990s right that's when i was in you know, in high school and college. And so um, I might have a particular... I like new music, uh, uh, of course, but I have a particular, you know, affinity towards music from the 90s.
0: What were your favorite bands from the
1: 90s? Oh, man, you wouldn't believe it because this is just a, a, an audio show, so you can't even see it, but I'm wearing a Nine Inch nail shirt as we, as, <laughs> as we speak. I was a big... Yeah, I was a big nine-inch Nails band, I was, a, but I was a big, um, I guess what they would what we called back then, grunge and and you know, alternative music. So, Pearl Jam, um, Soundgarden, Allison, you know, I was a big Allison Chains fan. Um, all those, all those sorts of band, kind of rock alternative bands. Um, you know, I actually liked some, and I still like um, you know, kind of punk music. But that was you know, that kind of hit its prime, um, before. A little bit before my time, but when I was in high school and I had you know a little bit of cash and could buy you know CDs, my you know and develop my own music taste, it was that you know that grunge alternative sort of moment.
0: That's funny. Yeah, for me it was like I listened to like ska and punk. The thing is though. I don't enjoy listening to that music now as a 30-year-old. Like, I'm just like, I can't, no, I can't do it. I've tried it. I'm like, I'm going to feel nostalgic. I'm going to put in some less than Jake (laughs) or some real big fish. I'm like okay no I can only do oh, really? one song. Yeah, it's so weird. So what, what do
1: you so what's your what do you listen to just more contemporary stuff?
0: Yeah, I mean, contemporary stuff I listen to uh you know, I like Frank Sin- I like the pop standards like I like Frank Sinatra, I like yeah. I've always liked swing music, sort of jazz from the 30s and 40s. That's been sort of consistent from when I was a kid until today I still like that. But and then today I I do enjoy just poppy Poppy pop music pop rock music so
1: you really are a historic when you say you're you have historical nostalgia yeah you yeah. really do it's really
0: weird i think it, and i i don't know why i think it, my mom might have had a lot to do with it she was you know she loved watching old movies and of course i had to watch old movies too so it's probably because i'm nostalgic for that stuff because like that's what i grew up with it's not because I, yeah. I mean, I, I did experience it directly in an indirect way, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, no, I think that, and I, you know, I think that will, that is an area of research that I haven't fully jumped into. But I think that that's, I think that's a really, really cool area. I've talked about this with some of my graduate students, actually, of trying to figure out this, um, the content, the historical continuity of nostalgia. Of, like trying to figure out a way to identify if some of our tastes and preferences um, and our nostalgia for them. Are linked to things that were passed down to us from you know. So if your parents listened to the Beatles or the Rolling Stones, for instance, like did that? How did that influence um, influence your taste? I think and 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 what's the and what's the function of that? I mean, we're talking about music, but you can imagine this in all sorts of cultural contexts. Like you could imagine saying, in cooking, for instance, we hear people say, "Well, this is my grandma's recipe." Right, and so I think that, and oftentimes, if you watch cooking, you know, cooking shows or cooking documentaries, which you know, my wife always makes me watch these cooking documentaries on Netflix, you'll see these famous chefs, and they'll, and they'll often say, "Yeah, well, when I was growing up, my grandma made this, or my mom made this," and they might have a new version of it, but there is that um, core of it, and you know, I think that's actually a that's actually an important part of nostalgia that we don't think about in terms of entertainment and 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 consumer products and trends and, and and things like that is that a lot of times nostalgia works the best it seems or it's the most creative when people aren't just perfectly trying to replicate something from the past but are able to extract its core its core themes and then do something new take a new spin to it and this happens all the time in music you can identify elements that are that are influenced by um, by the past, but then they go in a new direction. And I think this where you can really see this is in, in, in movies. A lot of times in movies, the difference between a nostalgia, a movie that just is trying to like, bank on nostalgia in the most superficial way is oftentimes totally criticized and panned and people hate it because they love the original so much. And They just see it as a total, you know people just trying to cash in on nostalgia. The movies that seem to really be able to be successful and pay tribute, or, you know, to the past, are the ones that pull the you know pull the themes out of it that are important and that honor and honor the past, but then do something you know do something totally new or move in a new direction.
0: Right. I feel like the Western genre does that really well. Hmm. Yeah, like a lot of the good modern westerns are still really good. They hold up to the other one. Yeah, I think about, you know, my kids are probably going to be nostalgic for the Killers cuz that's what we pretty much listen to. Oh,
1: yeah, Killers yeah, are great. Yeah. Yeah, I love love the Killers.
0: And they're actually doing some nostalgia. Like you hear some like you're listening like that's a little bit of Bruce Springsteen 19, you know, 80, right? So it's uh they're doing the same thing. Well, I mean, th- there's so much more we could talk about. I, where can people learn more about your work, not just on nostalgia, but also just the psychology of being animals that have to grapple with temporal existence?
1: Yeah, so uh, if you, I, I have a website. It's just clayrutledge.com, So it's pretty simple, and you know, I, I have descriptions and links to a lot of my research, and and also links to I've done you know writing for you know from a number of different outlets. Ranging from Scientific America to the New York Times to uh, Wall Street Journal, you can see all that on my website. And I I, I wrote a TED Ed lesson, so if you if you want something that's like five or six minutes, and you like cartoons, um, I, you know, there's a little there's a little TED Ed video. I mean, I think it's linked on my website. So I think that's probably the the best place to find me. Um, I'm also on on Twitter. I don't you know necessarily tweet about nostalgia per se, but a lot of times about the areas of, of research and issues I'm interested in.
0: Fantastic. Well, Clay Rutledge, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's, a, it's been a pleasure for me as well.
0: My guest is Clay Rutledge. He is a psychology professor at North Dakota State University, the author of the book, Nostalgia. It's available on amazon.com. You can also find out more information about his work at clayrutledge.com. Also check out our show notes at aom.is nostalgia. We can find links to resources. We can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. If you enjoy the show, we've gotten something out of it. I'd appreciate it if you take one minute to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. That helps out a lot. And if you've already done that, please share the show with a few of your friends. It's one of the best ways to get the word out about the show. The more, the merrier. As always, thank you for your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly.